This episode of Faith 180 deals with topics some listeners may find heavy, upsetting, or disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Faith 180, you take your faith and you turn it around. Faith 180, yeah. The Faith 180 jingle lives again for another episode, and welcome to Faith 180, the podcast where faith and mental health collide. I am one of your hosts, Tom Hazelton, and sitting in the stall next to me, Mr. Jordan Hamilton. Greetings, Earthlings. Going straight for the Earthlings. I have addressed the Earthlings. Last time it was the world. The world. Now it's the Earthlings, so pretty well the same thing. I'm trying to expand our audience. <laughs> you didn't expand anything. It's still the same world. Well, here's to hoping. We still haven't been sponsored. It'll get there. Maybe, if we keep introducing ourselves to the Earthlings. I love how you just want a sponsorship. He just wants a sponsorship. So somebody, please sponsor this poor man. $10 will say your name on Faith 180. Okay? I'm just kidding. This is not about sponsorships. This is mostly about Tom. <laughs> it is not just about me. It's about sharing stories. It's about being comfortable. It's about removing stigmas. It's about talking about faith. It's not just about me, Jordan. What's what's going on in your life, Tom? Uh, what's going on in my life? Not a whole lot. We just had a long weekend, which was exciting. Got to spend some family time. We have another long weekend coming up, which I'm pretty excited for, too. What's going on in your life? Well, Tom, uh... New job, been exciting. Feels like a weight has been lifted in that area of my life. Uh, but outside of that, just really been enjoying some some time with my family between work. Daughter's growing up way too fast. Yeah, my son, man, he's he's going to be eight in March. And I just think, where did that time go? You blink and it's gone. I do want to mention the holiday that you mentioned that is upcoming Thanksgiving. Yep. Don't forget to give thanks uh, for everything that you, you have in your life. And and you know what? If somebody in your circles needs a, a warm place and a hot meal, feel inclined to invite them in and, and maybe maybe warm their spirits. Well said, Jordan. That's what I would want. That's what I would want, too. Yeah. And it's like I said, it's give thanks for, for everything you have. Right. And the people in your life. You know, I still like the distinction in Canada where Thanksgiving is not just about Black Friday. In the U.S., it, it it feels a little more commercial. It does. And to argue that, though, I could say the same thing about Canada and Boxing Day. The U.S. doesn't do Boxing Day. Well. I, I've always just found it kind of funny that in the States, they give thanks for everything they have by going out and buying more stuff. True. And in, in Canada and in the U.K., it's like, hey, it's Christmas. We've got a bunch of stuff. Let's go buy more stuff. I think, though... I think, though, yeah, I agree. We've commercialized it. It wasn't it intentionally a day to, like, box up yeah. your old stuff. Yep, and give to people. Yeah. That's what Boxing Day was originally. Yeah, and instead we now go and... Buy more stuff. Buy more stuff. At a discounted us. rate. That, I'm here to tell you, will not make you any happier. No. Stuff does not make you happier. <laughs> stuff does not make you happier. We have a new segment today, and and you know what? I'm going to let the introduction do the talking. So, yeah. This is the Mental Minute. And welcome to the Mental Minute! 
the mental minute. This is a new topic that Jordan came up with uh, the other day when we were chatting. Um, just a quick, uh, quick back and forth between Jordan and I, just to check in on each other and see how we're doing. So, Jordan, I'm going to ask you, how's your mental state? Mental state is clear, uh, which I love. I traditionally operate in a somewhat foggy mindset, mm-hmm. and there's just been a lot of clarity. And I pray for that, and I thank God for that, uh, because that's not something that comes natural to me. So, you know, with all the things going on in life, uh, baby, a new job, uh, my wife's gone back to work, you would think there'd be a lot of fog, but there's actually a lot of clarity. Mm-hmm. So right back at you, Tom. How's your well-being? Uh, my mental well-being right now is, is I would say, great. Um, life is just busy in between like everything you said, like jobs, um, opportunities that I've been given. I was part of something here at the, at the church on the weekend that took up the whole weekend. But again, it was, it's good busy. It keeps me active busy. Uh, my kid's about to start hockey, which is going to take up more time. So life is busy, but mentally it's being able to just take a step back and just appreciate the times that, you know, I'm with the family and things that just mean the most, you know. Certainly words of encouragement there for our listeners would be ask somebody how they're doing. Yeah. I think I think the mental minute could could uh go beyond the podcast and and you know, you're walking down the hall one day and you see somebody that maybe you haven't checked in on in a while. And even even when you check in on them, don't just send a text. Pick up the phone, give them a call. See how they're doing. Hear their voice. This was the Mental Minute. So with the Mental Minute out of the way, Jordan, you have a quick announcement that you want to give everybody. I have some very exciting news, Tom. This is something that I didn't know was going to happen until it did, I guess. We've got a movie that's going to be making its way to southwest Nova Scotia. And Faith 180 is bringing the movie The Blind to Yarmouth Wesleyan Church on October 27th at 7 p.m. Tickets are available now. They are available. We're going to get those out there so we can share that with you uh we're going to put the trailer on our socials and uh hopefully you'll you'll join us if you're in this area and uh the goal is to fill the church and watch a great movie for those of you that don't know it's the story of the robertson family otherwise known as the duck dynasty family and what a lot of people don't realize is that that's that story wasn't always a pretty one. Phil, the the, the patriarch of the family, uh, he grew up an alcoholic. He had his own bar at one point. His wife and kids left him. And, and he hit rock bottom. And a lot of what we're hearing through their podcast, actually, is how, you know, how could one man spend 90% of his time in creation but never get to know the creator? Which, ironically... I always say I've been a Christian for 26 years, but I've only known Jesus for three. So I just felt there was such an immense uh, parallel there to draw to what we're doing that this movie needed to make its way to Southwest Nova. And given the, you know, current climate of the world, it's not being shown in major theaters. So uh, my encouragement is to check out our socials, get tickets, and we're going to have a great night here at the uh, the Wesleyan Church in Yarmouth. I also hear that our social media manager is extremely attractive. Really? Yeah. It's my wife. She's doing an awesome job, too. Oh, spending more money, I see. Yes. You overpaid for Dave. 
You bought us a social media manager. I know. And not only that, I paid for another guest to be here with us tonight. Well, I think I'm going to get us an HR rep. <laughs> so we are joined this evening by Brooke. And it was actually Jordan who reached out to her. And where actually Brooke is your sister, Jordan, I think you should do the introduction. That seems quite natural, Tom, Yeah, that I would do that. So I will introduce Brooke. Uh, this, this idea came up really early on in our podcasting. I think the first night that we recorded our pilot episode. and Her name came up that night. Instantly. Yeah. And me and Tom chatted a bit earlier, and it, it was kind of interesting because I do get excited to record these podcasts, and I certainly am excited for this one, but in different ways. I think, I think this one carries a message that is very important. It's not talked about enough, and that's exactly what we're trying to do with the podcast. So I'll kind of let her introduce the story a bit, but Brooke's my sister. She is a few years younger than me. We grew up together, obviously. And, uh, you know, over the last few years, Brooke's gone through some some trials, and we just really feel like this story is going to resonate with a lot of people. And a lot of people need to hear it. So, Brooke, welcome. Welcome, Brooke. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking the time out of your life to join us tonight. Ugh, hard to find time, but the pay's good, so here I am. <laughs> Hear that? The pay's good, so keep that in mind for everybody when we approach you in the future. Tom just keeps writing checks. <laughs> so, before we get started, before we, we dive a bit more deeper, just tell everybody about yourself. Where are you from? Who are you? Um, my name is Brooke. I used to be a Hamilton, but I am now married and a Grayley. Um, I work for the school board under the schools plus category, and I work with elementary school students as an outreach worker, supporting them bridge the gap between home and school. That's awesome. Yeah. Like that's a, that's a very important job. It is. And that's another topic that isn't talked about enough, but yeah, it's just, it's something like you said, it's not talked about enough, but there are so many people in the background who are doing things that don't get the recognition or don't get the appreciation that they deserve. And it takes a very special person to be able to do that. So on behalf of everybody, thank you. Kudos for that. I do it for the kids. Exactly. And do, you, do you enjoy what you do? I do. I love what I do. It's, it is a very heavy job that you have to be able to separate work and home and, and leave it at work when you go home. But that's not always possible and it does become heavy. So, But I do love what I do. Well, that's phenomenal. I, I'll say for both of us, thanks for coming on, and thanks for being willing to even talk about this. Um, I, I struggled all day with how you even introduced this topic, but I, I think it's important that we get into it, and, and that's that, you know, Brooke, you went through a, a very trying time when it came to getting pregnant after your marriage. And I remember going through that um, as your brother, and I mean, it was certainly hard on the family, but that doesn't draw close to what you were going through internally. So what what I'd like to do is kind of start with like your early upbringing and uh, and we'll get into that. I think uh, Tom's got a great question here for you right off the start. So like your brother, uh, you grew up in church and I'm using air quotes when I say that. So you grew up around the church in the church, what have you. If you're comfortable, just 
what was your early journey with Christ like growing up? Yeah, for sure. So growing up, church was not an option. You were there on Sunday, twice on Sunday, once on Wednesday. And as a kid, like a young child, it didn't feel like I was being forced to go. It felt very fun and exciting. And I loved being in the church. There were other kids in the church. Youth group was awesome. Sunday school was awesome. I was actually saved at the age of five in our home. And I would say, like, I very vividly remember that because I was saved out of fear. And I think my understanding of salvation was not as clear as it needed to be, but I did know that I wanted to be saved. Um, I remember our pastor giving a sermon on hell and going to hell and what hell looks like and what hell feels like. And I just knew at the age of five that I didn't want to go there. So I needed to take the other option, which was salvation. And so that is the route that I took. But again, I don't think I had the full understanding of what that was and what accepting Jesus into my heart meant at that time. Not to cut in, but hearing the out of fear, I, I was just taken back to being six years old because I remember there was like a like a rally here in town and the person doing the rally was like, you know, if you leave tonight, get in a car accident and die, you're going to hell. So you need to be saved. And I just remember being six years old, like walking up front, like, save me, Lord. Like, so it, it's it's totally like the the late 80s, early it's, 90s fear tactic. Yeah. It's kind of funny because I think all three of us were kind of same boat raised in a similar boat. Me and Tom have talked about this before that what I'll say to all of this is I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But I do think that there's a, a definitely a need to recognize there's more to Jesus and and God than just, you know, and I brought this up before, the uh, misconception that he just wants us to be afraid of going to hell, which is not the case, not the case at all. So so you grew up in church, much similarly to myself. We were in the same church. And uh, yeah, you're right. We I wore flannel pants three times a week. Yeah. That's uh, that was quite a. I remember you guys used to have matching skirts and, and and plaid hats. There's some great 90s photos of us looking very dapper. That being said, we're kind of, you know, getting up to closer to today in, in your story. Let's just talk about, you know, when you got married. You got married in, I believe, September? Yes. Of? 2021. So you got married in September of 2021. Happy belated anniversary. Yeah. yeah. I also got married in September. Congratulations. Tom. Thanks. So you got married to a fine young gentleman who is probably 6'5", the measurements we incorrectly quoted for uh, Dinger Dave. But uh, all that to say, your husband is a, is a fantastic uh, man. And once you got married, you were quite eager to, to have kids. Yes, we actually were trying before we got married. Okay. To clarify. Okay. Be not intentionally, we were supposed to get married in June of 2019. Yep. And so we had plans to start our family immediately following that. And when COVID um, rained on that parade, we decided that we still wanted to move forward with starting a family, whether we were married or not, because our intentions were to be married at that time and to begin a family. Yeah, I remember the uh, the wedding day. Your your sign at the back 
had three or four dates crossed off and then finally <laughs> the date that you actually got married. Yeah. So not only did we struggle with conceiving, but we also struggled with getting married unintentionally. So it's been a struggle for a while. God does work in mysterious ways, though. Um, and, and as we work through the story, you'll learn more and more about Brooke. So it's safe to say that you and your husband started trying to have children in 2020? Yes. 2020? Okay. Just if you want to walk us through that timeline um, real quickly of when you tried and, and, and what happened. And I really think this is your story, and I, I want you to tell it as clearly as you can. So. Yeah, so it started in 2020, and we tried on our own, which I say that loosely. Obviously, you don't want help when you're trying to have a baby. Um, and we were very unsuccessful. No positive pregnancy tests, nothing like that. Every month was another cycle that led to more sadness and negative tests. And it just became something that we were looking forward to that became more and more a negative thing. And so after going through that and reaching out to other people who I knew were in kind of a similar situation, I did connect with somebody who was my age going through something very similar, who talked to me about an infertility medication called letrozole, which was the smoke and gun that we needed to help us get pregnant. And so we had our first positive pregnancy test on September 9th of 2021. And then we were married September 18th of 2021. So at that time, I was six weeks pregnant. And we actually pulled our photographer aside, and I don't think anybody besides my mother knows this, and we had her take an announcement photo for us in our wedding photos so that we could share with the rest of our friends and family that we were pregnant. And two weeks after our wedding, on October 2nd, I had my first miscarriage. And to say I was gutted is an understatement. It's something that you don't think is going to happen to you, even though the statistics are one in four. That seems really far away until you are the one in four. And then you meet all the other one in fours in a small town like Yarmouth, and you realize how many of you there are and how many people are going through this. So I want to kind of cut in here because, A, I think that speaks to the the relevance of I didn't realize the statistic was yeah. That's twenty five percent is yeah, yeah. That's phenomenal. I so there's a few things I want to just touch on quickly, just on that little bit. Um, first of all, Brooke reference being saved, and I just want to clarify that's a, a personal invitation for Jesus to come into your heart and and to save you. And and I just want to make that clear that that's what uh, you did at that early age. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about kind of before we progress in the story is at that point of your life, what's your relationship like with Jesus, the church? Um, like before you even tried to get pregnant, what was your relationship like with Jesus? And then, you know, even just to elaborate more like that, you you were saved at a young age. What was your relationship with Jesus like through your teenage and early adulthood? Yeah, so I would definitely say that my relationship with Jesus early on was strong, and I loved being in church. And the older I got, the more it seemed I was further away from God. And when I say that, I mean 
all of my peers and my friends and my classmates were doing things that I, as a Christian in a Baptist church, wasn't allowed to do. I couldn't go to dances. I couldn't have boys over. I couldn't hang out on Saturday nights because Sunday morning we had to be in church. So there was no sleepovers on Saturday nights. And at that point in my life, it seemed like I was given a book of rules and I had to follow the rules and not a lot of people around me were following those same set of rules. So my relationship with God struggled at that point. And then I went off to university in Newfoundland because I thought that my mom didn't like flying. So it was the one place I could go where she wouldn't visit me frequently. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> and I, 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 for the record, also flew to Newfoundland before Brooke, but not because my mother was afraid of planes. They, there, there is a boat, I guess, that can take her over there. Anyway, continue. You and, moved to Newfoundland? Yes. And while I was there, I kind of rebelled and I did all of those things that I wasn't allowed to do. And I was not really attending church. I did get picked up by a family friend who lived in Newfoundland and sometimes Jordan and attend a few church services here or there where it fit into my schedule. Because at that point, I felt like I was in charge of my relationship with God and it wasn't being forced on me. So then looking into my early 20s, it was very similar. I, I was living under my parents' roof, so they did have stipulations that I attend church, but I certainly wasn't going three times a week. Um, and after Keegan and I started dating and we moved into our own apartment, it was on us to attend church. And so... Yeah, I would say that was probably the worst my relationship has ever been with God. We, we've used the phrase a lot. So during your early 20s, when you were living with your parents and they were forcing you to go to church, your heart was not ready to receive at that point in time. No, and I wasn't even listening. I, I was not taking in any of the messages. Yeah. I was just there because I had to be there. And my heart was not there at all. I'll be the first to chime in and say that, you know, even though I was picking you up some days for church, I was probably a convenience Christian mm -hmm. at that time. You know, when when my heart felt it needed it, I would uh, attend church services. So no shame in that. I mean, we're just we're simply telling a story. And uh, and the 180 part is where things get very interesting. Exactly. But, uh, so we're, we're in October, two weeks after your marriage. Yeah. And you just experienced the one in four statistic of a miscarriage. Yes. So, yeah, I was not in a good place. My relationship was not in a good place with my husband, with my siblings, with my parents, with not with anybody. And most of that was on me. And some of that was on people not knowing how to support me. But I knew the only thing that I could do to have a family, which was my goal, was to keep going and to keep trying. And so we did that. We did a few more rounds of letrozole. I believe in between we had two failed rounds, meaning we didn't get pregnant off of the letrozole. Um, and at that point, we upped the dosage um, to be... And at this point, are you are you praying at all? And it, it's totally irrelevant. It's just a question that I'm curious about. Are you talking to God? Yes, 100%. I would say even before the losses, even when we truly started to try for that year and nothing was happening, that is when we legitimately hit our knees and was like, we need help. Yeah, that, we need help that's bigger than us. That was my next question because we kind of never really talked on when you opened your heart back up you know yeah. so this was this was during trying to get start the family that, yes. that's when yes, you would say your for heart sure. okay and that's also when we started coming back to church and we decided at that point the best fit for us was the wesleyan church um my husband was also raised in church but hadn't attended church for a long time 
And there were just so many things happening in our small home community Baptist church that I didn't want somebody who wasn't a Christian to walk into that and be a part of. And I felt super comfortable bringing him to the Wesleyan and having him be a part of this church family. And ultimately, that was the best choice for us. So talking about your husband, you mentioned that after the initial miscarriage, that there was anger or frustration aimed at him, perhaps. And the only reason I'm asking this is because I'm a husband. Tom's a husband. And I just want to know, like, what was your process for that? Was it more just less so mad or upset with him and, and mad at the world? Or what was the, the real mindset there? And and to that point, when you had first started, I guess, really speaking with, with God about this, do you feel like you were in a position to receive at that time? No, I don't think I was in a position to receive. I think I had a one-track mind. And I was on a mission and I didn't want to hear what God had to say or what anybody else had to say. And I think at that time, my idea of God answering a prayer was him giving you what you were asking for. And I'm so glad you brought that up because because I was having this conversation yesterday over coffee with a friend and a friend kind of chuckled at me. But I said I came to church for a long time, literally, you know, negotiating with Jesus and I'd be like, okay, you see me in the back row again, Jesus? You know, you're going to pay those bills for me? Right. And, uh, you know, I laugh now because it's it's a two-way street and God wants us to make the first move. So Yeah, yeah and, and those negotiations we also had in terms of having a child. We, we together, me and my husband, prayed several times, give us a child, we will bring them to church, we will raise them up to know you, just give us a child. And, the, and the that bargaining. was us negotiating. I promise I will raise them to know and love you. And when you talked about anger, I can honestly say, looking back over the whole scenario, I don't think I was ever angry with Keegan. I don't think I ever pointed my anger at him, honestly. And I, I'm not just saying that to make myself sound better. I truly believe that I felt so much anger towards myself and my body mm-hmm. for letting the both of us down that I, I never, ever had unkind things to say towards him in regards to our struggles. He was, and still is, the best partner, kind, caring. He did nothing but listen to me sob. He sobbed with me. I honestly could not ask for a better person to have gone through that journey with. And if it wasn't for him, I might not have survived it. So you're married. It's two weeks post-marriage. You just went through your first miscarriage. Why don't you take us from there, um, continue on with what happened after that? Yeah, so my second loss began February 4th of 2022. That was when we found out we were pregnant for the second time. And at that point, we weren't excited because after you go through a loss, your mindset changes and you lose all of the happiness that comes with a positive pregnancy test. Even when I told Keegan, the look on his face was fear. It wasn't excitement because we both knew what could happen and inevitably what did happen. And that's why we're talking about it. 
And I think the extended family at that time felt similarly. It, yeah, it was, I, it was I, hard to be excited for both of you. I uh, very, very distinctly remember telling my mom and dad and my dad crying. And I knew it was not his happy cry. And I asked him why he was crying. And he said that he just could not watch me go through this again. And so he basically didn't want to know until it was over and there was a healthy baby because he did not want to watch my heart break again. Yeah. And, that, and that's the one thing I was wondering, too, was you as her brother experiencing this. How, like It's got to be difficult to be, to yeah. be happy. Yeah, and, and so I should add, in that timeline, between my first loss and my second loss, Jordan and his wife Kelsey actually became pregnant. And that was so hard. It was so hard in so many ways. It put such a strain on our relationship and my ability to be a good sister and to be a good aunt to that baby. When you say your relationship, you mean your guys's? Yes, you, mine and Jordan. Jordan's. Okay. Yeah. I, I remember, too, even feeling a, a sense of guilt that mm. knowing what she was going through and that we were have There was very awkward moments um, in passing. The, the relationship was not great. Um, it definitely felt like there was a bit of envy from their side uh, that, and, that was my question as and, well so it's kind of like you have the guilt and she has yeah, the envy it, because and it's like what do you do because you know at the same in the same token me and kelsey had been praying and, and trying for yeah. over a year yeah. um and then finally we're successful and uh you know thank jesus that we didn't have to go through any miscarriages mm-hmm. but what a weird time to navigate. And I'm just thinking over here too, like the emotional roller coaster that must have been going on in your head because marriage, yay, exciting. Mm-hmm. Two weeks later, bad news. Uh, then you get good news again in February. and But even that good news, for lack of a better term, is tainted? I yeah. Guess. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's... And, and after I, I remember, like, I remember everything. Like it happened yesterday after we got that positive test. It was. Kelsey's baby shower and at that point I was pregnant and Mm -hmm. so I was so excited to go and celebrate her and celebrate the baby and I think it was two days after that I found out that this pregnancy was not on track to be successful and it was like at that point I think I did kind of start to clue in like okay was that God's works? Like, did he let me keep this baby long enough to get through that baby shower so mm-hmm. that I could be there for my brother and for my sister-in-law and be part of something exciting? Like, when I look back and think about it, a lot of strange things coincided and happened. And like Jordan said, it was very weird to navigate. There were, him having guilt was something that I knew. I knew he felt guilty. And I knew there were moments when he didn't want me to be around. I don't want people to walk around on their tiptoes around me because they're pregnant or because they have children. But I also, at some points during their pregnancy, had to remove myself from situations or conversations to protect myself right. because I was not in a good mental state. And and that's and that's I'm it was to... hard to stay. It was hard to outwardly control emotions right. and... during that time because same you know we were ecstatic. Um, and then there's obviously a gender reveal yeah. and, and the baby shower. And there's just a lot of things leading up to a pregnancy that family is present for. And there was no way to be present in the right mindset because it was either I felt 
I just I either felt bad or I couldn't really celebrate yeah. because I knew what she was going through. Yeah, and, and let me rephrase that. I had no idea what she was going through. I thought I knew how she was emotionally. Right. Yeah, and for me, I was a ticking time bomb. I could hold it together sometimes, and sometimes the wrong thing said or seeing the wrong thing just completely unraveled me and set me loose. And I didn't always handle that with grace and kindness. And, and I will be the first to say that, I, yeah, I probably said some things I shouldn't have said and, and out of envy and anger and sadness. And I'm not asking this question, make you think back negatively even more so to those times. But was there ever a time when all this was going on that you just kind of thought to yourself, why doesn't anyone just ask me? What would make this easier? Yes, and and that is ultimately the conversation that we had after. Okay. It was like if you were Hindsight. unsure, yeah. yeah, if you were unsure of what to do, because I just felt like they were trying not to hurt my feelings, but in the end, it hurt my feelings. Yeah, and and there's there's so much to be said about when the moment is happening, yes, and then yeah. the clarity and after then the fact. I felt so crappy as a person after, so mm-hmm. there was just so many layers. To everything that was going on in that time frame. So you say it strained your relationship with Jordan, and and it was definitely envy that you've said. Would you say that kind of bordered on resentment at any time, or was it just strictly just envy? Oh, definitely resentment. A hundred percent. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I I was resentful. At one point, Kelsey and I were pregnant at the same time before I had that second loss, and it was like, so cool to think our kids are going to be so close in age. Like you're going to have your baby shower and then I'm going to have mine. And then it was like, why did all of that get taken away from me? But it didn't get taken away for them. Mm -hmm. So there was definitely a lot of resentment. And then on top of that, a few months later, I get a phone call from our other sister and she is hysterically crying. And she says, I don't want to tell you this. And as soon as she says that, I know what she's about to tell me. And she's pregnant. And she was not intentionally trying to get pregnant. And so that was another gut-wrenching conversation that I had to go through where she's crying because she's pregnant and she's crying because she feels bad for me and I'm crying because she's pregnant and I feel bad for myself. So it's it's February in the timeline. I think we're a few months past that now where, where, where Katie got pregnant. Yes. And... Yeah. Uh, so take us from, from that point forward. Yeah, so February, I was pregnant. This is kind of going to go pretty medical, so some of you might not understand this, but where I had had a previous loss, they were testing my HCG levels, which tells them how pregnant you are. Um, and a normal HCG level doubles every 24 hours in a healthy pregnancy. And so they had been monitoring mine, and it wasn't doubling. Um, it started at nine, which is super low. Like the baseline for being pregnant is five and mine was only nine. And one of the doctors in the ER actually came in at that point and he said kind of harshly and without any empathy, I've never seen an HCG level that low result in a baby. And so at that point I felt my world shattering again. And so he consulted with a gynecologist who said that some women's levels just rise slower and to come back in a week and see where the levels were or three days, sorry. And so after three days we went back and my levels were 12. And so they were rising, but they weren't doubling. And so we went through this back and forth, two days, two days, two days for two weeks. And at that point um, I did start to bleed. And so I thought I was miscarrying and I went in and my levels were in the thousands, which was awesome. 
And then at one point they dropped. And so I got a call saying that my levels had dropped and that I was most definitely going to have my second miscarriage. And so they asked me to go in for an ultrasound to confirm. And when I went in for the ultrasound, there was nothing in my uterus. There was no sign of a baby. There was nothing to be found. And so they were very confused and they sent me up to the maternity floor. And the doctor who was on call that day, her name's Dr. Nettie, and God bless her, she is an amazing woman. She told me based off of all of my blood test levels and everything that I had told her had happened, she assumed I was having an ectopic pregnancy. Which again, the statistics for that are a lot higher than they should be. Explain that for those who might not know what it is. Um, an ectopic pregnancy is where you become pregnant and a baby embeds somewhere other than your uterus. Most usually it is in your fallopian tube, but there are cases where it is not in a fallopian tube, but not where it should be either to develop into a healthy baby. But they had ultrasound my tubes and couldn't find a baby, so she was very concerned about that. And she gave me two options. I could take a pill to terminate the baby wherever it was. And if it wasn't successful, I would end up in an emergency surgery. Or I could trust her gut, which was that it was in my tube, and have the surgery. And so I decided to have the surgery because literally all I could think about was that I had already wasted eight weeks on this pregnancy that wasn't going anywhere. It wasn't getting me any closer to a baby. It wasn't starting my family. And to me, that was time wasted and time that just broke my heart even more. And so I wanted the fastest option, which was to do the surgery, because after the surgery, we could start trying immediately. When you miscarry naturally, they ask you not to try for a few cycles. And so the surgery was the fastest route to us moving forward. And so I had that surgery and she warned me that depending on how developed the baby was, that I could potentially lose my tube, which would make conceiving even harder. And so I went in for the surgery. Um, Keegan was working and I didn't have him to come with me. So my sister came and she called him because I was in hysterics. I was screaming. I was crying. I was angry. She called him to go get some stuff and to come back to the hospital. I remember that day because we also got very kind of cryptic calls that Brooke was going in for surgery, but, you know, not a lot of details that I even understood at the time, but uh, it's certainly shocking. It set me back in my seat. Yeah. And so I went in for the surgery, and when I woke up, I very clearly remember Dr. Nettie being in my peripheral vision, and the look on her face, I knew what she was going to tell me. And she said that she had found a baby and that it was eight weeks long and that it was perfectly nestled into my left fallopian tube that was then ruined. There was nothing left of it. If she had left it in there, um, chances are this would just keep happening. And so she had to remove it. So there I was, another baby gone. And now I'm left with one fallopian tube. And I think that is honestly when I hit rock bottom. It's a great, that's a great point to stop at and, and just kind of reflect on everything you just said. Tom, go ahead. Like you've, you've been begging and bargaining and, you know, I'm sure you've even been like, I'll give up all worldly possessions. Yeah. I'll, I'll take, I will do I'll anything. Take, I'll take at anything. This point. And you've just experienced your second miscarriage 
and now conceiving is going to be much harder. Where are you mentally, personally, and where is your relationship with God at that moment? Yeah, I would say my relationship with myself was the worst. Mm. Waking up from that surgery and hearing that, I didn't want my husband to walk in the room. And I've never felt like that. I felt so much shame that my body had let me down once again. And now I am not even a full woman. I am missing half of my womanly parts. And the one thing that I should be able to do, which is create a child and give my husband a child, has now been taken away from me. Half of that had been taken away from me. And in my head, the fear set in to if I try again and this happens again, I have no tubes and I have no options. And I am not in a financial situation to do IVF to pay for them to inseminate me so I don't need those tubes. And so all of that flooded my brain and I couldn't look at Keegan because I was so ashamed of myself. I have never felt so much self-shame in myself ever in my life. And I cried and I called my mom and dad and they... God loved them, said, if that happens and you end up in that situation, we will pay for the IVF. Like, you can't think about that right now. If that, if we have to cross that bridge, we will cross it when we get there. Like, you have to move forward. And I think my relationship with God, it had to get worse before it could get better. And at that point, I didn't understand. I couldn't fathom the why me. I couldn't get over, like growing up, it was always like, if you do something bad, God's going to teach you a lesson. And so in my head, I'm like, what have I done so bad that I need to learn this lesson not once, but twice? Why on earth do I need to learn this lesson twice? Like, why is this happening to me? And I was so angry. And it's like, I went back in my head of people that I know who should not have children, who are drug users or alcoholics or abusers who have seven children running around. And it's like, why me? Why me? I have done my time. I have sat in church. I have said my prayers. Why me? And I do think that my relationship with God was at the bottom of the barrel at that point. I think for anybody, when they hit rock bottom, that's generally the lowest point in their walk with with Jesus too, certainly. And that was really the case for me. I, you know, metaphorically was down on my knees, pounding the floor, going, I can't keep doing this. Yeah. I, it's, this can't be what life is about. This can't be what God is about. Yeah. No, and, and speaking on mental health, like the depression that I was feeling at that time in my life was like unspeakable. I didn't want to get out of bed most days. I didn't want to eat or I was binge eating. It was one or the other. I did contemplate at one point taking my own life because I thought that that would be doing my husband a favor. If I just got out of the picture, he would probably have a child by now with somebody who could give him a child. And there were days driving my car where I thought I should just take the nearest power pole. And I don't say that lightly But I did think about it so frequently that it it didn't scare me anymore. And I think it's important to point out, though, that you're not alone. And especially with a story like this and 
and the you know the statistic you gave us at the start one in four and i believe it's it's october is a special month yeah october is pregnancy and infant loss awareness month. pregnancy and infant loss awareness month and october 15th is uh, pregnancy and infant loss awareness day yeah so you're you're absolutely rock bottom at this point in time you by your own account You've just had your second miscarriage. How do you find the strength to move on and try again? Where do you start? Where do you start? How do you pick yourself up? Well, when you're at rock bottom, in your head, the only place to go is up. True. And with one fallopian tube, there was not much worse that could happen, aside from having no fallopian tubes. And looking at my husband... I knew there was no giving up. I knew that not just for me, but for him, we weren't giving up. And I would like to say that I did go to therapy. Um, mm. I, I found a counselor, an awesome counselor in Yarmouth, and I did do therapy. And I needed that therapy. There were a lot of people who wanted to support me and didn't know how. And I didn't know how to express everything I was feeling to those important people in my life. And so I did have to accept that therapy is okay, and sometimes we need therapy. And I think the most important—I <laughs> think the most important thing that I took away from therapy is that I mentioned I was feeling so guilty, and I just kept saying that to my therapist, like I feel like I gave my husband a gift, and then as soon as I gave it to him, I walked over and I took it away. And if you know what a kid looks like after you take a birthday present away to put the batteries in, imagine that times a thousand. That is what his face looked like every time we lost a baby. And the therapist looked at me and she said, what you need to realize is that a baby is a gift that is given to both of you and you have both lost that gift. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why it took her saying that for me to realize that I wasn't giving him that gift. God was giving us a gift. And God was deciding that that gift was too precious to be on this earth. And that is literally when my mindset changed. And I was like, okay, we are going all in on God. And before that, I actually did have a tarot card reading done, a fertility tarot reading, which my mother is mortified about. But <laughs> at that point, I needed hope. And if somebody could tell me in September of 2029, you will get pregnant and have a healthy baby, I was going to hold on to that and give my life until September 2029. And that's what I needed at that time. Looking back now, no, I don't think my tarot reading had anything to do with my pregnancy or my life moving forward. And I know that God is the one controlling all of the strings and everything in my life. And when my therapist said that, that is when everything turned around. And we literally did a faith 180. And a faith 180. It works. And there's something to it. We had nowhere to go but to god and that is when things didn't get better but they started to improve full faith 180 all in on god things start to improve what does that look like yes so after my surgery we were told we could try right away and the first month that we tried like my next cycle we got a positive pregnancy test and it was like a super positive pregnancy test and 
you guys probably don't realize this, but in the world of women trying to conceive, you can get like a faint test or that is still positive. But when you're really pregnant and your levels are good, it's like a dye stealer. The, the first line is brighter than the second line. So this was a good test. And I was confident that maybe this was our sticky baby. This baby was here to stay and things were looking up. And that was very short-lived. It was my shortest pregnancy because at the one-week mark into that pregnancy, which is technically five weeks pregnant, um, they sent me for blood work again. And that blood work came back with very low HDG levels. Um, and so we tested again in two days and they had dropped and dropped and dropped. And at that point, I went for another ultrasound and there was nothing. Nothing on the screen, nothing to show for a baby. And at that point, it was deemed a chemical pregnancy, which is where you create an embryo, but it never embeds and it just kind of is reabsorbed into your body, essentially. Hmm. And so that was my third loss, um, all three being a different type of loss. Like, I don't know how that happens, how one person yeah, experiences three yeah. types of losses. Um, and in terms of us moving forward, it actually made things harder because I had a consult with a fertility clinic and the rule of thumb for the clinic here in Nova Scotia is that you need to have three consecutive losses and they have to be the same loss. So my ectopic pregnancy didn't count in their eyes because if that baby had made it to my uterus, it might've been successful. And my chemical pregnancy didn't count because there was no baby to show for it. And so just hearing that information over the phone was like, another jab to the heart like okay you want me to go through this two more times before you'll help me mm. um and how how is it hearing that those losses and i'm using air quotes when i say this like didn't matter yeah they they didn't count that's, they didn't count that's the yeah. words the doctor yeah. used they didn't count as if i was collecting them like right. it wasn't something that i was hoping would continue to happen and in talking about these ultrasounds like Ultrasounds for me became a nightmare. There was so much anxiety, literal PTSD. I had never had a good ultrasound. Like every ultrasound I had led to extremely horrific news that ruined my life a little more. So are you still digging in at this point with God? Yes, we are. And I think we were because... My gynecologist, Dr. Nettie, the one who removed my tube, she took me on as a patient and she was like my number one cheerleader. And she was going to do whatever it took to help us have a baby. Um, and she said to me at that point, like, the fact that you got pregnant right away with one tube is like, is a miracle. Like, that is the word she used. And just based off of our interactions, I would say she is also a believer in God. Don't quote me on that. But just based off of the way she spoke, um, and she did say like, that is basically a miracle. And she said, I just think where you had had a surgery that your body wasn't ready to house a baby. So she said, don't give up. This is a good sign. And so we didn't give up. We knew that if there was a miracle to be had, we were going to have it. I know how this ends. Tom knows how this ends. And, you know, you're sitting there your, your third time. I think there's going to be people that are that are going to say, like, why? Why three's enough? Even at at two, I was, I was in my head. I could start hearing people go, you know what, Brooke, you know maybe, maybe that's it. And I just want to remind anybody listening that if they're wondering, 
why after two you try again and why after three you try again uh, rewind back about 40 minutes and start listening again emotional roller coaster but also hope every time was was hope yeah and and People are probably thinking that we thought that. I verbalized that many times to many people. At what point do I give up? At what point do I say I'm not doing this to myself anymore? At what point do I not put myself through this emotional hurt that I just keep going through and going through and going through? When do I give up? Like, And then it's like, I can't do that for my husband. Like, If I give up on myself, I'm giving up on him. If I give up on this dream, we're giving up on a family. Like, And... I say that loosely because there are alternative routes and 100% we were ready to take them. If we had to adopt to have a family, we would have taken that route. We were gung-ho, dead set on having our own child. One of the themes I find interesting that came up in our pilot and again tonight is the theme of self-love. And, you know, when I hit my rock bottom is when I, you know, despised myself, who I was. This is when I despise um, myself the most. Yeah, Tom as well, and and we're hearing it again through uh, through a different lens of you just you didn't have a lot of self love at that point. No, I I couldn't. Mm-hmm. My body had let me down three times. So tell us, tell us how it ends. Well, we picked ourselves up and we fell off the horse and we got back on the horse and. On July 7th of 2022, which was, I think there was only one cycle in between the third loss and another positive pregnancy test. Um, Mom and dad, my mom and dad, I say mom and dad because it's Jordan's mom and dad, were living. Some people think they're my mom and dad too, (laughs) let's be honest here. We're living with us at the time. Um, They were building a new house, so they're living with us, which adds another layer of complexity. Try making a baby with your parents in the bedroom right next to you. You couldn't separate her by an airplane then. (laughs) (laughs) No, I couldn't even separate her by a bifold door. Um, Love you, mom. So she was supportive though. And we were clearly in, a, in an adult state of life. We were married. She knew we were trying to conceive. That was the risk she took moving in with us. And I remember having a weird dream. And in all of my pregnancies, I knew I was pregnant because I had a weird dream, like vivid, strange dreams. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to take a pregnancy test. And so I got up. Everybody was getting ready for work. I took a pregnancy test. And as faint as faint could be, there was a second line. And I was so so happy to see the second line but then instantly the fear set in yeah and i walked into mom's room and i showed it to her and she couldn't even see the line and she's like you're not pregnant you're crazy like that's not positive don't get your hopes up and i'm like okay i'm gonna test again tomorrow if my levels are doubling this should be more positive tomorrow i could probably have a paid sponsorship with um first response because i bought thousands of dollars of pregnancy tests Um, Each pregnancy, I tested every single day to make sure that those lines were getting darker. And again, I went for my blood work and my HCG levels were beautiful. They were super good. They were doubling. They were tripling. They were quadrupling. They were great. And at that point, I was not suspicious of anything because I had never had a healthy pregnancy. So to me, that was just confirmation that 
this baby was my sticky baby that God was letting me keep, and it was a healthy pregnancy. Do you can you think back then and think of any reason why at that exact moment Brooke uh, was gifted a child through through the eyes of God? Anything in your life that you know just shines is like okay that happened and and I knew or or not at that moment, but a few months later I knew. All right, keep going. So flash forward two more weeks and I'm seven weeks pregnant and. I go to use the bathroom, and there is the dreaded blood. And my sister's over, my mom's there, and my heart sunk into my shoes because in my head, I knew what was happening. I knew where this was going. I knew how this had happened three times before and what the outcome was. And that was a Friday night, and the next day, my husband was going to build my dad's new house with him, and I didn't even want to bring him to the hospital because I didn't want him to receive the bad news with me. Um, I wanted to be alone and go through it alone because I didn't think he deserved to go through it. Did you tell him that night? No, I didn't tell him at all. He did not know I was going to the hospital. Okay. Um, and so I got up and I went to outpatients by myself. And they checked my HCG and it was still great. So they sent me for an ultrasound. And... In that ultrasound, I was given the best news that could have come from an ultrasound. And knowing the PTSD that I had from going into the ultrasounds, mm. I was nothing but a ball of nerves. I was shaking. I was sweaty. I didn't want to be there. I thought in my head I knew how this story ended. And what I saw on the screen was two little sacks and at that point they didn't have heartbeats um so when the doctor came, i just got chills when the doctor came in to give me the report he was very bleak about it and he did like read me the actual report and in it it read that there was two cystic like structures that resembled gestational sacs because they can't even at that point confirm that they are babies are viable. Um, and so he told me that I would come back in two weeks for an ultrasound. And that two weeks was the longest two weeks of my mm -hmm. life. It was probably the closest two weeks I've ever been with God, praying and begging for these babies to have heartbeats. And so we went back two weeks later. Were you bargaining with God then? That was my thought too. Yes, 100%. 100% I was bargaining. And, not e and bargaining for just one. Which is so cruel to say, but I just kept saying, if you've given me two, at least let me keep one. If you're going to take one of them, don't take both of them. Right. Please don't do that to me. Please, just at least give me one healthy baby out of the two. Like, in my head, my odds were better because there were two. But also knowing that twins is a high-risk pregnancy, your, your chances of something bad happening are also greater. And so... I went back for that ultrasound and I brought my sister. I was going alone initially or else I probably would have brought my husband. But I wanted, again, I don't know why I thought I had to conquer all of this alone. But I didn't want him to go through the pain if they didn't have heartbeats. I didn't want to see that look on his face. Like I internalized a lot of it and wanted to do it myself. And halfway on my way to the hospital, I started crying because that 
ultrasound PTSD snuck up on me and I didn't want to be in that room alone if this was all going, excuse my French, to hell in a handbasket. And so my sister came with me and they started the ultrasound and here in Yarmouth, they don't show you anything. They don't tell you anything. There's no reassurance really from an ultrasound because they don't give you any information. They send off the report and then you wait to hear from a doctor. And while I was in there, she asked me to hold my breath and I didn't know why. And then a few minutes later, she said, can you hold your breath again? And I didn't know why. And then my sister who works in the hospital and has had two kids at this point starts crying. And I'm looking at her and I don't know if I should be crying. And I say, why are you crying? And she says, if she's asking you to hold your breath, it's because she's counting a heartbeat and she can't count theirs if she's counting yours. And she said, she asked you to do it twice. And so without having confirmation from a doctor, we had a pretty good gut feeling that there was two healthy, viable babies. And the stress certainly didn't stop there. My whole pregnancy was one stressful day after another. There was two of them. I was high risk. I had gestational diabetes. I had high blood pressure. And you had Jesus. Yeah, I, I did have Jesus. And I prayed every day. And I, I shouldn't say I. Keegan and I prayed every day. I would certainly like to say that that is where he found his love for God. And he saw me lean into God. And he leaned into God. And just hearing him pray out loud, like if you've ever met him, he does not say many words. And the fact that he knew how much it meant to me for him to pray so I knew God heard him was a big deal. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And every time I thought, okay, we're going to reach a milestone and then I'll feel safe. Like the 12-week mark. Once you hit 12 weeks and you can announce it to the world, you feel safe. But we didn't feel safe. When during the pregnancy do you kind of feel comfortable never yeah i didn't um and then they say at 16 weeks that you're safe and then it's at 24 weeks a baby is viable if they're born but not for twins for twins Mm. the standard is 26 weeks because they're smaller so once i hit 26 weeks i felt more comfortable knowing okay if my body craps out there is hope that they live outside of me Mm -hmm. and then i ended up going early at 35 weeks because my body did crap out and I delivered two of the sweetest little babies four pounds and five pounds and when the doctor put them on my chest was when I thought the fear would stop and then our first three nights at the IWK Um, our son had super bad acid reflux and would randomly throw up and he would choke on his vomit. And so I developed this fear that he was going to aspirate and die and that I would lose him now that he was here. And honestly, I remember so clearly my mom coming in and me telling her that Keegan and I hadn't slept in two days. Neither of us would go to sleep at the same time. If one of us was sleeping, the other was awake, keeping eyes on the babies at all times to make sure they were breathing. And that's when she said to me, Brooke, God gave you these babies. And if he wants to take them, he'll take them. And there's nothing you can do. You can't live the rest of your life with your eyes open. Mm. You need to go to sleep and trust that he will give them back to you in the morning. Mm. And that was the first night 
that we shut our eyes and we went to bed and we had full faith in the fact that God knew what was best and that God gave us these kids and that if he needed to take them, he would take them and that we couldn't stop that. Aside from the safety risks that there are with newborn babies, there was nothing we could do to prevent that. So we've got baby Beckham, little Nora. They're adorable. Um, yeah, I love those two. They're they're the sweetest little twins you've ever met. And and when you know the story behind behind it all, they're that much more significant. And, and not that they wouldn't be, but. Um, a true miracle, a true gift from God. One thing I, I want to say, and this might just be jumping ahead a little bit here, is I remember the Sunday morning that those twins were dedicated. I remember sitting there thinking, like, because I, I kind of had a surface level knowledge that you were having trouble yes. having children. I don't think that was, like, much of a big secret, for lack no. of a better term. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, that's awesome. Like the babies are being dedicated and it was the same day your husband was baptized. Yes. And I remember thinking then like, hey, this is awesome. But I wish I could go back to that day knowing this story. Because yeah. I feel I would just have that much more excitement for you guys. Like just how amazing it is. Yeah. And like when you're in the thick of it, you don't know the other side of it. You don't know if there is going to be another side of it. So you can't look past it. And mm-hmm. I think now being on the other side of what was truly the worst two years of my life, I know that there were reasons and there were lessons. I know that Keegan probably wouldn't have come to love God if we didn't go through that. And I know that he is a better man for it. And I know that my relationship with God is better for it. Do I wish that all of that happened? No. Absolutely not. I don't wish it on me. I don't wish it on anybody. But I wouldn't have the kids that I have if it wasn't for those losses. And in that time period, I lost both of my grandparents, my mom's mom and dad, six weeks apart. And at that point, I think everybody in our family was like, okay, we didn't know this was coming. God knew this was coming. He took two lives and he gave us two lives. Mm -hmm. And that is the cycle of life. And And shortly shortly thereafter, we lost our our grandmother. Which is another, like, it's not a coincidence. My whole pregnancy, like, she had gone through this journey with me as a believer of God. And she kept telling me, Brookie, you're going to get your baby. Brookie, you're going to get your baby. And so when she found out I was having twins, I didn't have a bigger supporter than my dad's mother. Yeah, we're we're talking the... The most Jesus Christ loving woman I've ever met in my life. Yes. And she was deemed palliative in the middle of my pregnancy. And they had asked us to go and say our goodbyes because they didn't know if she would last days, a week or whatnot. And so I had to go and say goodbye to her for her to then live several months and... One of the last conversations she had with me, she looked me in the eyes and she said, Brooke, I'm going to be alive to see those babies. And I delivered my babies on February 19th, 2023. And she died 12 hours later on February 20th, 2023. Wow. Wow. 
And if that doesn't tell you that there's a God, nothing will. Because that lady should not have made it that long. Mm, And she did. Wow. And it was like she knew they were here and she knew they were safe and she could go. Wow. Tom, I want you to ask the most important question I think we have. And and as we wrap up, uh, Brooke, tremendous story. It's amazing. Thank you for telling it. We we kind of ch- chatted earlier, and, and we really want this to be about you, and we want you to close out the episode in a way. And uh, Tom, just, just ask the question. I think it's the most important one here, and it's the reason why we're doing this. Agreed. Uh, so, Brooke, what do other moms who are currently going through the exact same trials and tribulations need to hear from you today? What message do you want to deliver to them? Well... There's so many messages. It is the most lonely, isolating journey you will ever be on. And you're not alone. There are so many other one in fours. And if you find them, you'll be better for it. And you need to find your support and and lean in. Lean into God. Don't push him away. Don't blame him. Don't look to blame anybody. Lean into your relationship with God. Understand that your timing and your timeline is not his timing and his timeline, and that's okay. And just because he answers your prayer with a no, that's okay. And don't run from God because of those things. Because in the end, you... you, I pray for your sake you do see the other side of it and I know there are families that don't and that breaks my heart and being part of a group of women who are struggling with infertility is honestly one of the hardest and most cruel groups you can be a part of because you're all wanting the same thing and the second you get it you don't know how to feel because you feel so guilty for the hundred people you're leaving that are still in that group who don't have it and It's a struggle and you need to be kind to yourself because it's not your fault. You didn't do this to yourself. God didn't do this to you either. And you need to lean in on him. And I think throughout my whole journey with miscarriages and loss and growing up, I thought that with God, it was all or nothing. Meaning, I needed to follow a set of rules and I needed to do all this or else it was nothing. I would get nothing from him. And through this horrific experience, I have learned that it's all or nothing in the sense that if you give him your all, there is nothing he won't do for you. I I can't think of, you know... As much as I love singing the the Faith 180 jingle, it just seems you know so fitting. I a verse we we talked about last last episode with Dave, John 14:27, and I'm just pulling it up here. But I think I think the the best thing to do on this episode is to just leave people with with some scripture, and that's John 14:27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. And 
we are all walking testimonies that when you truly pour into Jesus, the Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, that you can turn your life around. Brooke, thank you for sharing your story with us tonight. Thank you for finding the strength to come in here tonight. And thank you for the time that you gave us tonight as well. Greatly appreciate it. And, uh, and thanks, everybody, for listening. We, we hope you'll share this story with the world um, and continue listening. And we appreciate you joining us on Faith 180. Catch you next time. Faith 180 is an independent podcast featuring, produced, and edited by Tom Hazelton and Jordan Hamilton. Got a question, suggestion, prayer request, or story of your own faith? Email faith180 at faith180crew at gmail.com. Faith 180 is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Don't forget to follow and turn on notifications for whenever a new episode goes live. Thank you for listening, and remember, you, yes you, you are worthy of God's grace.